0: Welcome to On The Bench. I got Chris Knee, Brendan Sinone, and Zach Bostein here with us. And we are at full strength, back for another episode coming off of the bye. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I mean, how could you not? The Gators, the Canes, they all lost. Uh, we head into the second half of the season all unranked. Uh, welcome, Chris. Welcome, Brendan. We got Zach out of class for this one. How you guys doing? <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Better than Ed Orgeron and Manny Diaz. Great. Zach, welcome. And Dan Mullen. Zach, welcome.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm (laughs) great. All right.
0: We did want to get Zach back on this one. One, because we missed him. But two, because we're going to talk a lot of recruiting, especially on the front end. And then on the second half of the podcast, we're going to kind of do like a a self-assessment a uh, look back uh, what surprised us what disappointed us in the first half of Florida State's football season Um, Brendan wrote some great articles up on Knowles 24-7 just kind of taking stock and what's what's happened at the midway point so I think you guys should go check that out but first we got some recruiting to talk about um FSU does hit the bye week with some momentum, mainly because they're coming off of a two-game win streak, but there are still a few major developments that occurred this week, including Travis Hunter's second trip to UGA and also a major decommitment on the offensive line. Um, but first, let's let let's get into this Travis Hunter stuff. Uh, Chris, bring you in to talk about the number one recruit in the nation, the number one ranked uh, prospect in FSU's commitment list, Travis Hunter out of Georgia. Um, what's your take on everything that's transpired this week with him?
3: Well, we saw him on national TV as Collins Hill was playing on one of the ESPN affiliates, go on and talk about FSU and basically that he was firm. And he'd also put out a tweet of that nature. Showed back up in Athens on Saturday for Kentucky versus Georgia, which was what number one versus number eleven, I think, in rankings. So good game right down the street from him. I know Joshua is not the least bit concerned about this. He's he's sitting around a 0.5 in the concern meter. Meanwhile, sweaty palms, Brendan over here is at about a 9.25. Uh, I'm holding steady at my two, but everybody's at a two. I keep everybody at a two. No, nobody gets lower than two. So, no. Do I think it's a big deal? Only as much as you want to make it. That's I, I, kind of how I view it. I mean, if he schedules an official there, then I'll officially be worried. But before that, nah, he's just taking visits. He's wanted to take visits. He's told Zach in the past he wanted to take visits. I think he's going to show up in the capstone at some point and visit Alabama. That would not surprise me in the least for a game. So I just kind of accepted and roll with the punches and hope that his relationship with Marcus Woodson, which is very strong, very good. The two had what I was told was very real conversations last week. Yeah, I think that holds steady and holds true for FSU, and obviously it's immensely important that FSU retains him because they need an injection of talent. He's the kind of dude that people gravitate to.
0: Zach, I don't know if you've been listening to On the Bench, but um, we've had a segment of the show where we talk about our concern level on a scale of 1 to 10 on Travis Hunter. Um, I'm I'm sure you can guess who invented this segment, but (laughs) – since we have you on, I would like to know what on a scale of one to 10 is your concern level over Travis Hunter's commitment to Florida state.
2: I think I'm right around where Chris is like a two. Um, You know, Travis had mentioned to me like multiple times in the off season that he might take some other visits just to take in some big, some big games with big atmospheres at you know, other schools, I didn't personally think that it would, it would come through, but You know, with FSU starting the way it did, um, I think it kind of allowed him to, you know, and also I think another part of this is that he's injured and he's kind of been like, he doesn't want to stay in the house all day. He wants to get out. Um, And FSU, obviously, you know, they're playing Syracuse the one weekend and then they're by this weekend. So um that, that atmosphere is definitely better. So I, I think that's why um, you see him going to these games. If you start setting officials, you know, I'll, I'll start being more worried. Um, but I'm definitely around like a two or a three right now mm-hmm. on, the, on the scale.
0: Okay. And for those scoring at home, I was a 0.5. Um, on Friday, though, Travis Hunter put out a graphic with him and Marcus Woodson. And the quote from him or the caption written by Travis Hunter was, I'm a Knoll, nothing more, nothing less. I'm not decommitting, stop that rumor, go Knowles. Um, this was on Friday. He did visit UGA on Saturday. I, I agree with everything you and Chris said about the UGA visit. Um, the one other thing I'll add is, is, it's about an hour from his home as well. Um, so there's plenty of reasons for him to go. If he were to schedule an official visit to Georgia, it would, it would probably pique my interest some more. But at this point, I'm probably going from a 0.5 to a 0.4 in terms of uh, my level of concern. And that's mainly because of the statement that Travis Hunter put out prior to his trip to UGA. He probably knew he was going to Georgia again this weekend, wanted to go check out a game, but also knew of the kind of the consequences he faces when he goes. You know, a lot of people in his mentions, a lot of his phone blowing up and all these things. So I think he kind of preemptively put out this graphic that he, that he got from Florida State um and and put it out you know preemptively so i I like that he's he's letting everybody know that he's on board with Florida state even though he is uh you know visiting
1: uga over the weekend brendan 9.5 okay thank you wait real quick i was reading this study i don't know if it was a study it was an article on inside hooks i don't think it's that scientific but Basically, they surveyed 2,000 British people who are in couples or, you know, relationships. And you know, I'm taking all my love advice from British people these days. 46% of people who post to social media regularly are unhappy with their relationship. And they're posting of their, you know, their intricacies of their relationship and, and you know, ussies and selfies with, with their significant other. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, to me, uh, if you're having to talk about your relationship all the time and how solid you are and and let the world know to me, there's at least a little bit of concern and that's it. I'm just throwing you a little bit of, of British, uh, love dating advice. You guys take, take from that what you will.
3: Recruiting should always be compared to relationships. My favorite is if you've got a girlfriend, why do you need another one?
1: I mean, the coaches the are the ones, ones who say it's I all about relationships. Have
3: five girlfriends host you for a lot of money for 3 days over a weekend and have a hell of a time, I'd have five girlfriends too. Don't let my wife know. Oh wait. Right. What?
0: <clears throat> the only way I would a uh, the only way I would equate recruiting to relationships is the Chris Rock quote about a man is only as faithful as his options. I think that's the only way you can equate it to yeah. to dating. I got um, I got
1: nervous when you started to quote chris rock there i could go off the rails very quick easy there easy all right
0: well i feel like we know where we stand with travis hunter we set the table for you guys again um even if you are worried uh, i i'm not expecting a any change in his in his commitment to florida state for any time in the in the near future at least that but we do have news on the first decommitment of the 2022 class, I know everybody thought, you know, oh, the 0-4 start would ruin this class. Well, not, not everyone. I just mean the outsiders. But the insiders knew that, you know, Mike Norvell and the staff have done a good job in reinforcing the message. But on Saturday, four-star IMG Academy offensive lineman Alu Ba decommitted from FSU. Uh, he put out a statement saying, I would like to thank the entire FSU staff for giving me an opportunity to be a part of the Noll family. But after great consideration talks with God and my family, I've decided that it is best that I decommit from Florida state university. Um, Chris, we've kind of known this is coming for a while. We've set that expectation. I think on this podcast numerous times that he is basically, you know, he had basically reopened his recruitment um, who, or what is the biggest threat to uh, to ubad Why did he decommit
3: from Florida State? The University of Georgia. And that's been the case since, what, June 12th-ish? He committed to FSU in late May. He visited in early June on the 5th, I believe it was, for the elite event. Then he officially visited about a week later. Young Zachary talked to him on the exit interview of that official, asked him if he was going to go anywhere else, which isn't his favorite question. Never was, never has been for Bob ba- I believe, told him no, and then next week shows up in Athens, Georgia. And I believe he's shown up in Athens, Georgia at least two more times since then, maybe even three. Also made one visit to Florida, but I don't think Florida is a serious contender here. The decommitment is to flip to Georgia eventually. I think for him, it simply came down to, is Georgia going to have the room to take him? And it appears they do, and that they're going to green light him, and that's all she wrote.
0: Uh, Zach, you know, like Chris said, you've been on this one since the start how big of a loss is this for Florida State and um you know what are what are some of the newer options that have hit the board hit the recruiting board
2: well obviously Florida State's still going off here like a Julian Armella for instance and then um still in communication with Elijah Pritchett obviously that's probably not going to happen but you know they're keeping keeping the communication lines open mm-hmm. um but as far as new options, uh, you mentioned earlier Matthew McCoy. They offered him um, at the Syracuse game. He visited for that game, and um, they extended an offer to him. Uh, I think he has officials set to you – t- you spoke to him, but he sent an official to UF and Ole Miss maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean and he's,
0: and he's, he's working on Maryland and Florida State. Yeah. And it so he, sounds like Florida State is active with him, but I don't know if there's a sense – and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like we lose Ba, so we have to move on McCoy. Do you get that sense?
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's like that. Um, I don't think they're looking for a replacement as of yet. Um, one guy I think they really should offer is um, out of Valdosta, Jacarius Peak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's gonna he's he's gonna be a good prospect. I mean, he is a good prospect. LSU came in and offered him um, last week, and a bunch of other schools have come in, and I, I just you know, I think um, it would be smart for FSU to extend that offer, just like a Matthew McCoy offer, where they're not, they're not, you know, obligated to push super hard for him, but um, at least keep the option open.
1: Yeah. Would you but would yeah. you say your curiosity is peaked?
2: To add on peak to
3: uh, sorry, not Sinead's point. Sinon doesn't make points. Thank you. Zach's point over the last roughly two weeks, it went Georgia Tech, NC State, Virginia, Louisville, Virginia Tech, LSU. All came in and offered. There are multiple people at FSU who want to offer peak. Again, kind of similar to Ba Big body, about 6'5", 300 plus pounds. Um, I think he's listed 3'10". I don't know if they have a more recent weight with him. Kind of a guard body type who could probably get away with being a right tackle, which is sort of similar to what Ba's description would have been um, with FSU, in my opinion. FSU tried to get peak in. I believe it was for Louisville might've been Syracuse is one of those two games.
0: Syracuse, I think,
3: Syracuse, but he had homecoming. So he opted to stay home for that instead of coming, but there has been communication and effort to get him in. McCoy came in, got offered partly because he came in. That's part of the reason that evolved to that point. I think the same would be true for peak if he shows up.
0: Yeah. Um, don't think, you know, it, it, we've talked about this on the site, on Knowles 24-7 and on the podcast, but I don't think that Florida State is going to scramble here for offensive linemen. We've said this since the summer. We feel that they over, I don't want to say oversigned because nobody's signed yet, but they overcommitted guys. You know, they, they probably, if F- FSU is rolling, they don't go into the season with six offensive linemen committed, but they knew that they needed to stock up and there, there could be some attrition. So now you see it um, with Alu Ba being the first to decommit from the 2022 class. Um, I think Florida State will still try to sign somewhere in the six to 7 range, but also got to remember the transfer portal is going to be active and I think that's going to be a big part of FSU strategy um, in the next you know two or three months kind of as the season ends. But want to stick to recruiting and talk about coaches hitting the road. This week, the Florida State staff utilized the bye week to get out on the recruiting trail. Um, the recruiting calendar allows for coaches to attend games and visit schools during the evaluation period. Um, should we? Should I review what the re- eval period is for these folks?
3: We'll do the Cliff Note version. Basically, they can go watch, talk to a coach, counselor, get uh, you know rap sheet, aka academic rap sheet, um, find that stuff out. They can't communicate with the kids. They're limited in the conversation they can have. They can say hi in the hallway, but that's about it.
0: And then the other stipulation to this is FSU coaches are only allowed to have one visit per recruit during the eval period. And I believe the eval period runs from like, you know, September one until basically the end of the high school season sometime in November. And then you're allowed to do in-home visits. So this isn't a scenario where Kenny Dillingham can go to AJ Duffy's IMG game every single week and be on the sidelines. You can only use your visit one time. Um, I believe, for example, FSU went to go see IMG versus St. Thomas to go see Mario uh, Marvin Jones Jr. versus IMG. Boom. That's their one visit for the entire fall. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about these trips, it's not – if you don't hear a name, it's either because FSU already visited them or maybe they're going to s- – save their visit for later on in the season, maybe even that team's playoff run. So Yeah, so
3: to add to Josh's point, eval period, September 1st, November 27th. From the 28th of November until December 11th is a contact period, also a period where you can host official visitors, all that, all that fun stuff. And then it shuts down, uh, the 12th is a quiet day, 13th of December through January 6th is dead completely and then this year's calendar is kind of weird the 7th 8th 9th of january is a quiet period and then it's dead the 10th to the 13th and then coaches can get back out there and eval from the forearm sorry go in home in home. Uh, january 14th basically through the end of january
0: right okay so we're dead center in the middle of the eval period as it stands and on wednesday right after practice coaches started getting out on the road Um, Kenny Dillingham took a red eye to Las Vegas to go see four-star running back Javante Barnes. We know Adam Fuller was in Georgia to see Georgia commitment, four-star defensive tackle Tyree West. David Johnson was in Louisiana. Um, But I want to go back to Kenny Dillingham being in Vegas. Um, Zach, you checked in on Javante Barnes after this visit. Uh, What do you know about his recruitment to Florida State at this point?
2: Yeah, um, I think – the first thing to note is Oklahoma's pretty much the widely considered team to beat for Barnes at this point. Um, he's got four official visits either set up or already, um, you know, he's already been on. So he's got one more visit um, and he's going to choose between Florida State, Miami, or USC for that visit. Um, he said it's 50-50 right now, but if he, if he does go to Florida State, it'll be for the the Miami game, he told me. so. Okay. Um, you know, that'll be telling if you don't, if FSC doesn't get the OV, they're out of that recruitment. Um, you know, if they do get it, they have a shot. Right.
3: Okay. Um, Point on that. They at one point thought he might come in for Notre Dame when it became clear. He wasn't at that point. I was told they expected him for Miami. So that's sort of the working idea they have. So I think if the Miami game comes and goes, he doesn't show up as Zach said, pretty much game over. Okay. Chris, what's your take on Tyree West?
0: It is kind of weird recruitment to Florida State.
3: Well, I mean, I think it's a matter of he's a really super talented player. There was a point where I think he was the number one player in Georgia 24-7 when we first did the state rankings for that class. Um, He's one of the best in South Georgia, and that's obviously an area of focus for FSU. He's a talented, big-body dude, and they've been consistent with him. He's actually won, uh, I think it was in June, when me and Zach camped out at FSU pretty much all month. That last day, he was one they were trying to get back in that day, and it didn't come about. But there was an effort there. There's been a consistent effort with Wes to constantly get him on campus. I know they're hoping to get him on campus for a game, if not a couple games. I think the hope is NC State and Miami. And one of those may excuse me, evolve even into an official potentially. I think FSU is trying to position themselves if either he backs off Georgia or Georgia backs off him, whichever comes first, possibly – for them to be kind of sitting there in a great position to potentially land him. Cause obviously that'd be a big lift to the interior defensive line. We're probably going to lose at least one, maybe two bodies after this season.
0: Another interesting Wednesday visit to note was Alex Atkins going to St. Augustine to check on Matthew McCoy. <clears throat> it was his first time seeing him in person at a, uh, or in pra- at practice, I should say. Um, the 2022 offensive tackle was just offered two weeks ago. Um, and we spoke about him earlier. Some other interesting visits or things that stuck out to me was that um, Alex Atkins was in Columbus, Georgia to check out offensive tackle Elijah Pritchett. Zach was saying that, uh, you know, Elijah Pritchett is still in communication with FSU. It's one of those things where him and Alex Atkins have a great relationship. And they're going to stay in contact. And if anything would be, you know, to possibly shake loose from his recruitment to Alabama, FSU will be waiting there with open arms for Elijah Pritchett. Um, but that's not the only offensive lineman that FSU was showing love to. Mike Norvell showed up on the sidelines um, to go see 2022 offensive tackle Julian Armella. Uh, Zach, we talked a lot about Armella. Um, and now with the shakeup at LSU, I know we're you know we're going to get into that later on. But who do you think the main competition is right now between FSU and Julian Armella?
2: I legitimately don't know. Um, like I it, his recruitment is just weird to me because it just seems like it really hasn't started yet. Um, yeah, he so you texted got...
0: me that the other day. Yeah, that's right. He's right.
2: He hasn't gone on like any visits. Um, you know, he obviously took the, the midnight madness visit to Florida state, which he wasn't even in town for 24 hours before flying down to go to the, um, Miami June one event. Um, and he's, he went, he came back for the Notre Dame game, but he hasn't really done, you know, taken any other visits to any other schools besides FSU and Miami. And I think he was at maybe LSU or Alabama over the summer. Um, so, I personally don't know. I think, you know, obviously Florida State's in it. Um, probably Miami is still in communication with him. I'm, I don't know if Alabama is is seriously considering him um, with, you know, their offensive line class that they have put together with Pritchett and all committed. Um, and then obviously LSU shake th- shakes things up. I think most people thought um, he'd likely end up at LSU just because of, um, you know, where things were trending before. But now with Orgeron gone... Um, you know, I, I just view this recruitment as wide open.
0: Yeah, it's it's really – we've had, we've always had questions even through the summer, like how much is Alabama involved? Is Clemson going to jump in? Where's my – so, yeah, I agree. It'll be very telling to see where he sets up his postseason official visits. Um, there's just been a ton of news on Noles 24-7 in terms of where the coaches are going to be and recruiting scoop. So I want to hit on just a couple more before we move on. Um, but Marcus Woodson was in Lake Gibson or was in Lakeland at the Lake Gibson game on Friday night as they took on Bartow, uh, Sam McCall, and also five star 2023 Cormani McClain were the primary targets at that game. Uh, Florida State linebacker coach Chris Marv was in Orlando all day on Friday and was also at the Dr. Phillips game Friday night to see four star LSU commitment linebacker Demario Tolan. And that comes at a major position in need. Uh, Chris you you were really high on Tolan even before he was I think a ranked recruit do you think Florida State can get back in on him
3: well he's one of those and you wrote about this morning that with the LSU coaching change going underway that it kind of opens that door a bit with him and he's talked about possibly taking some additional visits here even before the news of Ed O's departure from Baton Rouge came about officially Mm -hmm. so everything got a shot here but they weren't the only ones Uh, Clemson was a major contender here I don't know if Clemson still has that need or that desire with him but they could certainly be in the picture if they want to be because he was very interested in them LSU Florida Florida State Miami all of those were pretty big in that I think when he chose LSU he technically chose it over I believe it was Miami was the thought process at that time because Clemson and him it just wasn't it wasn't the timing wasn't right for Clemson and you know how Clemson operates where they're very, you know, when they were good before this year happened where they could kind of be super selective, but Deb was coming a bit down back down to earth. So we'll see if that adjusts the way they approach recruiting to any degree.
0: Marcus Woodson was also in Mississippi where he checked in on four-star defensive end Travion Williams, who we still consider a commitment, even though he has reopened his recruitment. Um, he was also at Mississippi Gulf Coast College to see Juco DB target to Carlos Nicholson. Uh, we've talked about Nicholson. He's the number one Juco DB in the country, committed to Kentucky. He has an official visit scheduled for with Florida State for next month. And they did a ton of recruiting in the 305. You can go up. Check it out on Knowles 24-7. But they saw Daniel Lyons, Wesley Vissain, and several others in the Miami-Dade area. Um, Just a a really busy week for Florida State. Any other takeaways from from where they went to visit or things that you noticed, Chris? Things that stood out?
3: Well, just to reiterate, as Josh mentioned, you're only allowed to one visit. So they didn't go see Travis Hunter. They're going to save that for when he's hopefully back on the field, potentially, in November for the playoffs. Go see him then. Uh, There were some others that they strategically just haven't used because of where they were, what they were able to do. But in general, I think it just reinforces that they do a very good job of keeping relationships strong with the ones that are committed in 22. They also did a good bit of advanced recruiting. A lot of 23 kids were dropped in on. Also saw some offers go out. They offered, for example, a defensive lineman in South Florida who's in the 25 class. I think Odell was able to lay eyes on. So that's just an example of For once, FSU recruiting is kind of getting ahead of schedule, which it really hasn't had that luxury in about four years because Willie's staff wasn't here long enough really to ever get ahead. And, you know, Jimbo left him in a bad void when he left in the sense of being advanced recruiting positive. So it's a good thing to see. It's a good trend. And, uh, you know, Norvell spoke about it on Wednesday before they hit the road that they as a staff have been limited in the amount of recruiting they could actually do in person because of – pandemic and the recruiting calendar being shut down. It's nice for them because they want to do this, they're aggressive in doing this and they're organized in doing this, that they can actually get out and get after it and kind of show their recruiting chops. And I think they've proven they can be an effective recruiting bunch, especially if the results start showing to some degree on the field.
0: Yeah. And um moving on from coaching visits, another new development this week was a new offer out on the defensive line. Um, FSU needs pass rushers and they think they may have found one in West orange, Florida, 2022 defensive lineman, Eddie Kelly. He was offered on Thursday evening. Uh, Mike Norvell personally extended the offer. Zach, you spoke to Kelly just minutes after he tweeted the big news. Uh, tell us about Eddie Kelly and where things stand with Florida state.
2: Yeah. Um, He was ecstatic to get the offer, especially, you know, coming directly from the head man and Mike Norvell. Um, Florida State's kind of been in communication with him, specifically uh, Director of High School Relations, Ryan Bartow, um, you know, talking with him, just keeping it warm for about a month or so before this offer came about. Um, You know, Eddie Kelly's been having a pretty dominant uh, senior season for West Orange. He goes both ways, tight end, D-end, but Florida State likes him on the defensive line. Um. So, um, I you know I think he's a good option. He's put up some great stats this season. He he's a multi-sport guy. He's really good at basketball as well. So I, I'm interested to see what he. I, we saw him over the summer. He was at that seven on seven where West Orange came. Um, Jaden Gibson was there, but he was the other prospect that Florida State was kind of keeping an eye on. Um, and you know he he offers intriguing size. Um, I think he like six four, six five range, and then um you know big bodied kid not like a a lean pass rushing defensive end more of a a bigger um you know option like a trevion williams for instance but yeah i'm interested to see you know he'll probably get on campus soon he told me that he's in the process of setting up an official visit to florida state i believe he has officials to washington state and one other school already set up um and a cool thing to note was that when after florida state offered like I think within the next day, four other schools um, came in and, and offered him as well, like Mississippi State, Georgia Tech, and a few others. So, you know, Florida State doing some good evals.
3: Yeah, a couple of things to add there. He visited for the Louisville game, so FSU has very recent measurements. 84-inch wingspan is one of the things they love about him. 6'5", 262 was the measurements at that Louisville game, I'm told. Um Somebody compared him to Dennis Briggs on the message board in the sense of high school prospect Dennis Briggs. I think that's a a fair comparison. I don't think they're extremely alike, but body-wise, kind of that big-body end who will probably end up gravitating into the inside eventually and be athletic, and they like that. They like those big-body ends that become defensive tackles that have athleticism. That's sort of their MO with that position at this point. I think Kelly fits into that well. So people were asking – you know, does this place take the place of a Marvin Jones or a Nigel Kelly or somebody of that sort? No, I don't think so. I think this is more about fortifying your front porch and making sure you're good to go next year and adding it. And if you were to miss on one or both of those guys, then at least you have a bird in the hand. But no, he does not replace either of those. He's not in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion, similar to Marvin Jones. Him and Kelly body type are a little bit more similar, but Kelly's a more talented player. This young man's very raw. Um I think that's a fair way of putting it with him. But there is a lot of upside there. There is athleticism and he's a body that's quickly evolving.
0: Do you want to talk about visits elsewhere, Chris, before we move on?
3: Uh, well, a couple quick ones. Trevion Williams was at Mississippi State over the weekend. Antavius Woody was expected there, but I never actually confirmed whether or not he made it. We talked a little hey, bit have about you
0: changed your crystal ball on Antavius Woody yet.
3: I have not. I need to. Uh, Keith yeah, Ebert, I think I need to Auburn too. expert did. From what I understand, it's not a thing that's on the verge of happening immediately, but it feels like it's certainly trending that way. He hasn't shown up in Tallahassee this season. That's a negative. Um, I was going
0: to change it if he showed up at Auburn this weekend, and then he didn't, so it didn't really. I I forgot to change it, but like even though he didn't show up, I still want to. I still feel like I should change it. Yeah, I think he's
3: after boss departure from class. I think he's certainly the most likely next guy to depart, and after him, I don't feel like there's. Well, Trevion Williams is an interesting case, and we all Mm -hmm. know that, but. Williams, I don't think is ready to depart somewhere else. Like Ba left for Georgia. Woody, when he leaves, it's almost certainly going to be for Auburn. With Williams, I'm not sure where the next would be if he does officially leave. And I know they're fighting, fighting to keep him more so than a Woody or a Ba. And that's not saying they're not making an effort with those guys. It's just different. Um, right. But mm-hmm. I haven't touched Chris Ball. And then Georgia had a few guys. Travis Hunter, of course, talked about Marvin Jones Jr. made it up there. And Nigel Kelly was expected up there, and I believe he did make it as well. So yeah, those are the main ones. And then basketball, Dylan Hunter took his official to Texas. That's one to keep an eye on the next month. He would be the next guy for FSU basketball if they had anybody else right now. Shut up, Brendan.
1: <laughs> of course, Chris tried to sneak it in. Of course. Well, he's only a
3: five star. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were only allowed to talk about three and four stars on this show anymore. I remember today. I got the mute control
1: button. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, go
0: on. I know where you're All right. On Sunday, LSU Athletic Director Scott Woodward released a statement parting ways with head coach Ed Orgeron, and of course, the Knowles 24-7 message board was ringing with questions on how FSU would capitalize on the firing of Ed O. Well, I wrote a story this morning on Knowles 24-7, where I think I named, like, six or seven or eight names in there of guys that you know fsu could possibly poach from their commit list Um, we've talked about a few on this show one we haven't talked about is four-star offensive lineman emory jones he visited florida state twice over the summer Uh, we really took a liking to him as a guard tackle prospect but he committed to lsu um, at the end of august i believe and We know FSU still maintain contact, but Zach, did they go see him? Did Coach Yak go see him during the eval period? I believe so. Okay. But (laughs) has he set up a visit to return to Florida State?
2: No. (laughs) Okay.
0: That'll be the next course of action Florida State needs to flip him. Now, Emory Jones, of all the guys on the commit list, I think Emory Jones kind of brings the most value to Florida State um, and is the most gettable, mainly because he's been on campus before. But he's one of those guys that, you know, he's he's a local prospect. What do they say? He committed to LSU, not the coach, the, the committed to the program, not the coach? Is that what they're saying about him, Zach?
2: Yeah, I haven't read up on it, but um, I, I mean, I think for any Louisiana kid that grew up there, like they fall in love with the program and there's been a bunch of coaches probably during his lifetime, um, being an LSU fan. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I like, I'm interested to see, like, cause obviously I kind of think that at Ordron deal gives LSU somewhat of, of an advantage just because he's going to stay or carry out the rest of the season. Um, and it's almost an advantage because he, cause they could bring in kids for officials and then Ordron leaves, um, and the new coach can bring the same kids in for another iteration of those officials. So I think that would be an interesting thing if they try to do that. Um, Cause usually you don't see these coaches when they're told they're not expe- they're not coming back for the following season. You don't see them really stick it out. But I think Ed Orgeron has some love for the school and obviously the state of Louisiana. And I think he's going to do his job well until the end for, especially with, with recruiting.
0: Yeah. And I, I caution fans to get too excited about a coaching change because you forget that like the pendulum swings in both directions. Right now, yeah, it feels like LSU might lose all their commits or recruiting's going south. But then as soon as they make a hire, it's LSU. They're in the SEC. They're a big time program. They are going to make a monumental hire, whoever it is, and there's going to be a ton of excitement. There's going to be a ton of hope, and they're going to gain recruiting momentum back. So But we are in this kind of precarious situation where there is uncertainty. So if you are going to strike or if you are going to get your foot back in the door with a, say, Emery Jones type prospect, this is the time you're going to do it. Uh, If you guys want to read the whole article, it's up on Knowles 24-7. Before we exit recruiting, I want to talk to Zach about his update with Sam McCall. He is the second highest rated prospect on FSU's commit list. He's been a little open to other teams, but Zach, you spoke to him over the phone on Friday. What did he have to say?
2: Yeah, so the basic message is um, locked in with Florida State as things stand right now. Uh, other schools are still contacting with him, and he's still open to that contact. But um, he remains that, or he he told me that he's locked in. The one thing he's keeping an eye on for for right now is you know FSU if they have coaching change. Uh, during the offseason, um, heading into before he's going to sign, um, in the early signing period. So like, I think the four coaches he mentioned were Odell, Woodson, Adam Fuller, and Mike Norvell. So like, those are the guys he communicates with the most. So if a, you know, a good bunch of those guys are gone, which obviously we don't expect to happen, but you know, there's a possibility, like he's probably going to, um, go elsewhere, but um, if the guys he has relationships with on the staff remain on the staff um, before he he signs in December and then enrolls in January, I expect them in this class. I think Alabama is kind of the 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 one factor here that I'm worried about because if they actually start pushing for him, I think he'd entertain that um, a lot just based on what he said in past interviews. I think he he even said in like an interview with Andrew Ivans the other week that if Alabama continue to push for him, um, he might throw that decommit. So that was like an interesting quote to me. I've never really seen a recruit say that in an interview, but you can always count on Sam McCall to be candid. And um, I think that was interesting. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't think this is the last uh, time, you know, FSU fans are going to hear him say he's solid, like like what Brendan was saying with the Travis Hunter situation. Um, you know, he might take visits elsewhere. That'll obviously, you know, be something to monitor. But for right now, um, he says he's locked in. Can
3: I share a PSA? Let us not be needy. We don't need to have our hearts comforted every week by these recruits that, hey, I'm not going anywhere. Like, they're either going to sign with him or they're not. And we're going to cover it in, in in between. But, like, the whole, oh, my God, Travis Hunter's in Athens. I'm going to act like so I need an update every I, week. Take like, his temperature every bring week. That, bring that down a bit. Like, yeah, you know, roll with the punches, baby. You're you're with a two and four football team. Hopefully, it's a little bit better at the end of the year. Roll with the
1: punches. Yeah. 57% of British people who are also we're not in, in Britain. Britain
0: at all. All right. Well, I guess this is a really bad time to hand the podcast off to Brendan. We are <laughs> done with recruiting. Um there's still probably a lot more to talk to, and you guys can log on to Knowles 24-7, ask us questions on the message board all day, every day about anything that you want to know about the 22, 23, 24, 25 recruited class for Florida State. Whatever it is, we got you, um, but let's roll it over to the football program and talk about a team that is on a two two-game win streak as we hit the bye week. And uh, we wanted to kind of like take stock and where things are, revisit a few things, talk about some of our predictions. Um, so let's go back to an article Brendan wrote, and you are probably working on an update on this as we speak. But it was your 40 most important players. And our,
1: our 40 most important. We all our, were part of, of this.
3: I don't really remember contributing to this. Truthfully, I, I think I said take it and run with it, Brendan.
1: That that was done in June, and you guys were a little busy that month.
0: So what stands out to you as you kind of re- revisit the top 40?
1: Remember 40, it, or when we talk about this top 40 list, like important is kind of a subjective term, but guys who needed to perform well for FSU to maximize its potential. Number one on the list was McKenzie Milton. So let's start there, guys. Like that's that's been a disappointment. And a lot of that is due to his leg just not allowing him to be what he was pre-injury. Uh, but But I think the more interesting thing – with McKenzie Milton as it applies to the way he was utilized at Florida State through the first, like I guess, what three, three, or four games. Uh, now they switched to Jordan Travis uh, full time with Jordan Travis being healthy. I feel like there was a level of like hubris of uh, Mike Norvell, Kenny Dillingham wanting to run the offense that they ran at Memphis with the RPO heavy game and that McKenzie Milton allowed them to have the best chance to do that. Uh, They started obviously the year with Jordan Travis, but that was also due to McKenzie Milton not being readily available for a couple of reasons leading up to that Notre Dame game uh, for the about two weeks leading up to it. So McKenzie Milton ends up becoming the starter in week two. He starts again in week three against Wake Forest, where they're kind of rotating the quarterbacks back and forth week four. He ends up being the starter. That's with Jordan Travis not being available. Uh, Chris, in hindsight, you know Mackenzie Milton not being good to go is not being a hundred percent is obviously like a, a profound portion of the season. Not playing that well for FSU. In hindsight, though, do you, do you think there was? Do you agree there was like a level of, of hubris going on with the coaches there to to kind of almost try to force the offense in hindsight around Mackenzie Milton's skill set?
3: No, I think it was a matter of they thought Mackenzie Milton was the most talented quarterback they had at their disposal. Jordan Travis needs time to develop and he is developing in real time while playing and I've been consistent with he's the most electric athlete on FSU's roster and he's certainly shown that and that's been key to two victories here now recently but I I don't think hubris is the right word I think it was more hope that Mm. Mackenzie Milton of old would make an appearance or at least to some degree closer to the old version than the current version And that it would help elevate this team. I I think Milton's brought value in the sense of being a good leader and he's helped that quarterback room. And I think he's certainly helped Jordan Travis a great deal. Um, I think he's helped Jordan Travis kind of enter into his own zone of being himself and being comfortable with himself and believing in himself and trusting himself and being a great supporter of him. And I think that's been beneficial, but yeah, Mackenzie Milton just simply isn't healthy enough to be the player they hoped he would be when they took him as a transfer, but the transfer, the transfers are funny. Hindsight's an interesting 2020 thing with them. Um, could they have gotten a better player with that spot without a shadow of a doubt? But did they believe in what Mackenzie Milton brought to him, and did it bring a sense of excitement at the moment they took him? Yes. So I, I think that that has to be taken into account still, despite the fact that the results of what he's bringing to the field aren't really there.
1: If I had to redo this which which I am going to redo this this 40 most important list at least portions of it Chris I think like McKenzie milton's still within that top 40 range probably even still within the top 20 for the the reasons you mentioned because of his yeah. leadership because of but I just he's not number one I think is is fair but would you put him like in the top 10 no,
3: he's not top 10 but he he has value as a, essentially a 2 deep guy because right now I don't know if they would go to him or Purdy next if Jordan was to get banged up again. I'm truthfully not sure on that. That's been kind of tough to read in practices the last couple weeks. weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Milton's value is more so leadership and kind of a, a dude that's been there. I think Kenny Dillingham described it last week as when you're having a bad day, look at that guy. Like mm-hmm. damn near lost his leg. He's, he's battled for 24 months to get to where he is. Like that puts it in perspective. And I think there's value to that, especially for a team that's so young, but no, not top 10 guy. I think more of a, 30 to 40 type guy then top 10
1: guy but he wasn't a he wasn't a whiff and like as we will reflect on some of the transfer portal additions like it's kind yeah. of 50-50 proposition for this class like it didn't work out the way you wanted to ideally but i think that was worth the gamble um and it, it's paid off not the way you wanted it to but it has paid off to an extent so right. the the rest of the top 10 uh, let's see mckinsey milton was one Jermaine johnson was two devonte love taylor was three andrew parchment was four amari gainer five jordan travis six Fabian Lovett and Darius Washington were tied at seven, Robert Scott nine. And then we had two guys tied in the top 10, Jamie Robinson, Kier Thomas. So, uh, and, and then Jay Sean Corbin's right outside, I, I think at, at 12. So I would move, have moved up Jay Sean Corbin. Definitely. Uh, The big disappointment of that group though, Chris, to me, uh, Andrew Parchment.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And he was always a gamble. There, there were some, I don't want to say red flags, but some concerns with him coming out of Kansas and they've come true. And, I don't know. We'll see if they get anything out of him on the back half of the season. He's had one good game in the first six, really, and he's been fairly non-existent. I think in two of those six, so you know that's not a good ratio. We'll see if yeah. they can get it out of him. I, they're they're still pushing with AP. He's just he's got to be fully receptive to it, and to some degree, I think he's an idle hands kid. I think if he has success two weeks in a row he'll be good to go for the rest of the year. But if he's MIA for the next two weeks, I don't really know if we see him make any kind of impact. But, yeah, certainly not a top-10 guy, but he was taken to be a number-one receiver. He simply just didn't live up to being that.
1: Looking through some other guys that just haven't quite lived up to what we were were thinking that they could be or haven't lived up to the level of importance, uh, Travis Jay we had tied at 14, some injuries there, but he hasn't been what we thought he was going to be based on how he performed in the preseason. Emmett Rice 16, he just hasn't been able to get back on the field. It almost feels like, like that rehab process has kind of stalled for him, like where you've seen Leonard Warner make incremental strides each week. It mean, I, I just hasn't seen like he's moved a ton in one direction or another. Uh, Lawrence Philly, tied for 18th, probably a, a fairly sizable miss there for us. Like He just hasn't gotten into a rhythm. Steven Dix Jr. at 24 is a is a pretty big miss, given that DJ Lundy and Kalen Deloche are both on this list, but but – lower than Steven Dix Jr. He just he... – Well,
3: if I remember correctly, when you were doing the list, and I didn't put a ton of time and effort into it, I looked over it as you would send it to me, and we had some conversations. Um And most of that is just bouncing it back and forth of what's going to be reaction of a guy at this spot. I remember Dix being when we talked about. I think you actually had him higher initially, maybe in the upper teens. And uh, we kind of talked about uh, the athleticism issues that we knew he had going into preseason. But the conversation would also come back to, well, right now he would probably be penciled in as a starter. And this is going into preseason. Obviously he's not a starter type. Um, I think he did that to himself with having bad scrimmages in the preseason, but it's abundantly clear that Steven Dix is limited from an athleticism standpoint. And at that position, they don't have enough other people to make up for it that they can't afford to play. So he doesn't play near as much as he did a year ago, or he did even what we thought he would be on the onset of this season. So, yeah, I mean, at that position, it's become DeLoach and Lundy are to clear 1-2. And then the next man up is Gaynor, and Dix gets sprinkled in there a little bit. But, you know, linebacker is what it is on this team. But, yeah, he's not a top-24 guy because he's not a two-deep guy.
1: Oh, let's see. We're going real quick here, and then I'll let Josh jump in. Uh, Dante Lucas at 26, no longer with the program, but, but someone, you know, when you talk about importance, like, that's <sighs> – you were hopeful that you could get something out of him and he could even start. And that just didn't materialize from a maturity standpoint. Uh, Jordan Wilson at 30 just hasn't been what he was advertised as uh, what we believed he was going to be. The coaches have was really excited about him. He just hasn't been effective. It's unfortunate. More you... yeah. um, Brandon Moore at 32, you don't get a snap out of him. That's a disappointment. Uh, the only other one I feel, you know, Joshua farmer at 39, I thought maybe he would be a little further ahead. He got hurt in the preseason. That slowed his development some and, and Jarrett Jackson and, and Malcolm Ray jump ahead of him. The, the glaring omission guy who we, he missed on the other way that should have been in this list, and this was in, in June. If it was done in August, he would have definitely been in the list. Uh, that's Sean Ward, King of the Spring. He's been great. He had a really good spring. Wasn't sure how he was going to be used in uh, fall, but once you saw a preseason camp, you're like, oh, that, that dude belongs. But that was the, the only big whiff, like I feel like, in the other direction or a guy should have been in that. that isn't. So that's the that's the four top forty most uh, forty most important players revisited. Josh, I'll let you jump in here with uh, with other roster talk.
0: Yeah, I just thought uh, besides that, I thought the uh, interesting thing to talk about was transfers, um, whether transfers coming or going. I know you wrote a story on that this morning, correct, Brendan? Uh, I've. Departed. Been writing
1: about transfers. Yeah, yesterday the guys who departed. I've talked about that's going to be throughout the week too. More transfers talk, transfer talk all the time this week. So what stands out? Obviously,
0: um, transfers are making a huge impact on this roster. Nearly every position group has been impacted by a transfer. Um, but there's also been some outgoing transfers. Are we missing anything, Brendan? What are we missing uh-huh. from guys that departed?
1: Uh, not a whole lot from the guys who depart. I mean, I think that was interesting. I look back at the 2017 class through 2020 class, and there were 32 guys who departed earlier or, or transferred. Uh, Trey McKitty the only one who goes to a power five level and has been drafted. I think there's been about five others who have gone to the power five level and have started. And that includes Bailey Hockman, who ends up getting he was basically gets thrown in because of an injury. He gets benched again, goes to mid Tennessee state and ends up retiring from football. So like uh, that feels like maybe that shouldn't count, Uh, but almost a majority of these guys have had to go down a classification or go on to a power five level, like as a walk-on like Warren Thompson, he ends up getting on scholarship. Uh, I'm not sure AJ Lighton is on scholarship at Penn state, Uh, but regardless, the, the amount of talent or lack thereof from 2017 to to even parts of the 2020 class. And that includes two transition classes in that time. uh, The the lack of talent has been glaring, dude. Like it's, it's amazing to see. And part of that's development. Part of that is scheme change and coaching changes. You've had three in that span, but really like just not a lot of talent has brought in, been brought in. And if you want to blame the coaches like for not developing them, not a whole lot of those guys are having success going elsewhere too. So my point being, uh, Florida State for the last several years hasn't taken a whole lot of ACC caliber players, and that's been reflective and not just the on field performances at FSU, but also what those guys have done after leaving the program, too. Uh, Chris. go ahead, Chris. I'm gonna and I'm pulling up the, the current guys that have gotten in as transfer, so we go over that real quick. It looked
0: like you had some thoughts, Chris.
1: No,
3: I, I, re- I really didn't. I mean, I think I, as the transfer <laughs> portal evolves and we see more and more of it both with FSU taking guys from it and guys departing FSU in it.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like the hit
3: rate is going to be similar to JUCO. I think the main difference between JUCO and it is that guys who are good out of the portal are going to be really, really good, very college ready, very ready to do it, and potentially giving you more years. Most JUCOs you hope for one good year. out of.
1: What what would you consider a good hit rate for JUCO guys, like on average? 50-50. 50-50. Okay. So, but here, feel, I'll feel
0: say like this. you kind of
3: hanging in that territory.
0: I think Florida State can do better than 50 50 in the transfer portal. And here's why um, lessons learned. People have been recruiting Juco for 30, 50 years, and the hit rate's about 50 50, no matter what. The transfer portal is new. Obviously, we knew that they took some risks on guys like Brandon Moore, uh, Andrew Parchment, for various reasons, you know, in and, and those risks really didn't pay off per se. Um, I think moving forward though FSU coaches and staff, this is only two years old. and, and this staff has only been recruiting the portal at FSU's level for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna become more efficient at this. I think they're going to become they're gonna understand you know where to take risks and where not to. Um, I think that they can improve on their 50/50 hit rate. But they're going to have to, you know, take into account the red flags that they ignored on some of these guys heading into this season.
1: So we lost Zach. He had to go to class. Goodbye, Zachary. Good night, sweet prince. So the, the transfers in 2021, going to your guys' point about it being a 50-50 hit rate. And I think this is where you're going to see the significance that Chris said. Like when you hit, if you really do hit like that, becomes an even more profound impact than, say, a junior college guy. So let's go across the board. Jermaine Johnson, an absolute hit. Like, slam dunk, that's going to be one of the best uh, transfers that anyone nationally took this year. Uh, he's filled a huge void. He's been a leader at position of need. Like, that's a hit. Mackenzie Milton, I we talked about this before or when you were uh, stepped away, Josh. He hasn't hit, like, in what you hoped he would be, but I don't think I'd consider him, like, a complete miss because of what he's brought to you from a leadership standpoint, from an initial buzz. I have a hard time saying that's a complete whiff. Would you agree? Josh, Josh he's he's been struggling with that today.
0: They're doing doing construction outside. (laughs) Yeah, blame it on the construction workers. I normally am. Um, The thing with Mackenzie Milton is that when they took him, they kind of knew that his on-field contributions may be limited, but his off-field would be exponential, especially Mm -hmm. in a a locker room like Florida State that needs a leader – you know, desperately needed a leader to step up for the last four years in this locker room. Yeah. Now they got one, and then also you might have a, a GA or a great assistant coach <laughs> down the it. road, in Mackenzie Milton already on your roster. So there was various reasons to take Mackenzie, and I agree with you. I All don't right. think he was a miss.
1: So that's a, that's an interesting point. You might get extra value there, but yeah, Chris and I see him in practice every day too. Like this is a program that needs vocal leaders. So that most that like could be overblown, but like you do need guys who are going to be loud and. And, and kind of orchestrate practices in that regard. Uh, there's not a ton on this roster. McKenzie's one of the few, along with Jermaine Johnson. And let's it it me- be
0: honest, it needs to come from that room.
1: Yes. Like Oh, that me- quarterback? Yes. We saw
0: what it was like when DeAndre Francois didn't take the leadership role seriously. Mm-hmm. We saw what it was like when James Blackman didn't, and we thought maybe other guys could. But in reality, you need some leadership from that room.
1: Absolutely, and he's had an effect on Jordan Travis in that regard, you see his body language. It's gotten exponentially better from a year ago and certainly from two years ago. And I think McKenzie's played a role in that. So uh, other transfers, Jarquez McLellan, uh, I'm not entirely sure if he's on scholarship. We'll say you know, yes <laughs> from now. Uh, has that been a hit or a miss? I'd say that's a little bit more miss than hit, but like it's not monumental. I'm not going to count it as like a surefire hit though. Right. Uh, he, he's a decent reserve safety right now for you. Andrew Parchment has been a miss. We talked about that when you stepped away, Josh. DJ Williams up to this point, he's a backup running back for you, and that scholarship could have been allocated elsewhere. I will say he has an extra year uh, to, to play, but right now, miss. So, Kier Th- so far. But he, Jay Sean Corbin leaves after this year, and DJ Williams, yeah, whatever. Right now, miss. Kier Thomas, hit, absolutely. He's been great. Leadership, and, yep. Jamie Robinson, hit. He's played hit. multiple positions for you. He's been good. So that's four hits. And uh,
3: since safety full-time, he's really settled in
1: yes yep uh i remember after that Jacksonville state game we we're kind of like eh, we're gonna see about jamie here like whether he's bought or not get
3: caught loafing on film that just yeah we how did been, he how, how did he
1: respond and that's he's doing well yep and that's significant for the growth of this program brandon moore obviously missed. you took a you took a risk there didn't work out for you uh dylan gibbons hit he's far exceeded our expectations i think right um, yeah, we
0: thought he was going to maybe not even be a starter, and he ends up being the most consistent offensive lineman in the first half of the season. Yeah.
1: yeah and that he's
3: left- a component to the fact that they can run the ball so damn effectively. Mm-hmm. A lot of big runs come off of his backside.
1: Now, that left side of the line between him and Darius Washington has ended up being, dare I say, a strength for this this team, at least for the run game. It's been, been real solid. It has. Yeah. And it, uh, okay. All right. Uh, Marcus Cushney uh, miss at Missed. this point, and that's that's big been disappointing. Um, you still have another year with him, but – so. Uh, I think we had 11 guys uh, and I'd say like five and a half hits pretty much with McClellan kind of the swing guy. So you're 50, 50 for this, for this cycle. Yeah. Not bad,
0: but, and I think they can do better. I think, you know, with efficiency and and what they learned, I think they can do better.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think going back like DJ Williams, you probably didn't need to take a running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were going to take a running back, you need to be a surefire one. And then with Kushney, you know, I was excited when he was a preferred walk-on type, a little less as a, as a scholarship guy but still thought there could be some value there the issue was like they wanted an offensive lineman at that point they they took their gambles earlier on and passed on some guys i think an offensive lineman would have helped them and, and maybe could have gotten them one extra win uh just given the injuries that they had there but that's hindsight being 2020
3: it's fair to add on cushioning to the scholarship offer came at the whistle they really yeah. didn't have another place to use it and he i believe he's a grad transfer so it's one year deal so you yeah, it doesn't hang on. It's not accounting that hurts you long term.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to see another offensive lineman, maybe another, even a wide receiver over either of those two guys taken.
1: Mm-hmm. And those are and those are things they talked about and it just, it didn't come to fruition. And, and, you know, you're taking gambles at, at timing of like when guys are in the portal and when you can make your move. Um, yeah. So uh, I, real quick, the 2020 class, I think it's fair to talk about two real quick. Devontae Love-Taylor. Absolutely a hit, even though he's been injured this year, hasn't hasn't been quite himself. But he's a hit. Deontay Williams, that's a major miss, right? Miko Dotson, would you say hit or miss at this point?
3: He's been staying healthy. has been such a issue for him. So I guess miss because of the fact that he can't get healthy enough to prepare to play to play at a high level.
0: I would definitely say miss. You got to remember when we took him, he led the he led the NCAA or his division in interceptions. So yeah. We were we were talking about him as a as like a spark off the bench, somebody that was going to come in and really make an impact at four. Yeah, the staff and loved him, and they, they I, yeah, did. I know they loved him. They talked about oh, him all all fall too about how great constantly he was. Banged up sadly. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's been he just hasn't been able to practice consistently or be hundred percent when he's on the field. I guess, okay, I'm fine with miss. Uh, Jordan Wilson, I would say a miss at this point.
3: Yeah, he's a two D player, and I lean on him a lot. But he's been pretty disappointing for what was expected. He, he was billed as a guy who was going to be a great additional six blocker for them on mm-hmm. the line, and he's not at all.
1: Yeah, he he he's been a hindrance at times, to be honest, this year. Um, yeah. Jay Shawn Corbin, absolutely a hit. One of the most explosive running backs in the country right now. Jarrett Jackson, <sighs> he's working himself into becoming a hit. I'm gonna lean, you know, if we're giving Miko a miss, I'm gonna even it up. I'm gonna say hit right now. He's help, he's doing what he was supposed to do, which is be a solid depth piece, right?
0: Which so. I think he'll continue to be for Florida State. Yeah, we'll I don't, I think, yeah, I agree.
1: I don't think he's a name that's going to
0: disappear. I think he's going to be kind of that second or third man in the rotation if everybody's healthy.
1: I didn't think it would be the case in preseason, but here we are. Uh, Jerry and Jones uh, miss. I mean, he's been solid the last two weeks. Josh's oh my Josh just boom. Josh, Josh carves himself out with these guys who I kind of like, and then he makes it to like I love them, like Jordan Young. He did the same thing with he. He, he likes to carve out this niche and make me take this like polar opposite stance. Um, I see. Jones has had
3: his two best career games, the last two games.
0: Yeah,
1: and FSU won both
3: games. Plain and simple. That means.
0: how how many more years of eligibility does he have? Two more. Two. He's a hit. Like,
3: Eligibility, he's a, miss.
0: he's a miss for me now, but I'm not saying he can't get better and improve. Like last year's performance against Clemson and some of these teams, I just he, he, didn't,
1: he didn't play against Clemson. No one played against uh, Clemson last year. You're just whatever. making stuff up now, Chris. Uh, t- t- tiebreaker hit or miss for Jerry Jones? Miss.
3: Um, <laughs> I think I agree with Josh's take uh... on the miss, but I think it can gravitate towards a hit. And the last two weeks has been a positive sign in that direction. All right. That's what I said. I think he can
0: get better, but if you're judging it to this point, I I mean, somebody's got to be out there on the field playing. Somebody has
3: to. Similar to Dodson, a lot of injuries have not really allowed him to prepare to the level one would hope, Mm -hmm. which has hindered him on the field. And at times he's looked downright horrendous and stats bear that out. But the last two weeks, he's been much healthier and he's been much better. I agree. I'm living with a handful of hope here. So there's well, some we, hope, but he's a miss.
1: Question. All right. Well, no, that's fine. We'll give it, we'll give him we'll give him a miss. But you know what? He also helped bring in Fabian Lovett, who is an absolute hit to bring it to four to four. Um, and if you guys were nicer to Jerry and Jones, it would have been five to three in, in that that cycle. So again, we're we're living at 50-50 for the transfer portal success rate right now. Josh, do you think they're everybody? A, uh for the last two classes, yeah, that, that are okay. on scholarship. Yep. Uh, we didn't get into 2019, which was you know Jordan so Travis, who do we Wyatt think the all biggest the, Hold on,
0: who do we think the biggest departure is that we could still use on this team? Like, if there was one guy that you could have back and talking mean, into coming back, I think
3: over all the time of departures here recently, it's probably Trey McKitty. He's the one in the NFL of that bunch. <laughs> That's a fair point,
1: um, but he wouldn't have been here this so season. Current
3: eligibility could be on this team.
1: Are we? I know you missed Durden's tweets. I was, I was gonna say. Corey Durden, if he's engaged and happy, has actually been really Twitter. good for NC State this year. Do and you the think that would have ever
3: happened here again? No. I don't think that was going to happen at FSU for him again. Sometimes yeah. you need a change of scenery for things to improve, and I think sure. Durden's a prime example of that.
1: We're already playing a hypothetical game of guys Come... – whatever. That's... We're hypotheticaling on the hypothetical. I can't believe we have 118 people watching this portion of the podcast. All right. God bless um, you all.
0: I want to talk about – um, before we get out of here, you wrote a great article today Thank on you. the front page of Knowles 24-7, a column entitled, <laughs> So, FSU is Actually Getting Better Under Mike Norvell. Um, was this a question or is this a statement that you made here? It
1: started off as a question, but I convinced myself mid-column, which is basically how my columns go. It's just a stream of consciousness. Oh, you guys think that's funny? You think my my ramblings are funny? Um, it started off as a question. I started doing re- <laughs> My wife yesterday re- realized how inefficient my workflow is and how much I just kind of space out while I'm writing and how much time I, I waste and lose. Like that transfer story probably took me like five hours to write yesterday. Anywho, you guys want to know about Mike Norvell and the program's growth and, you know, FSU sitting at the midway point here at two and four going back. And man, if you win that Jacksonville state game, it's three and three, and I don't think there's anywhere near the sense of panic and intrepidation of like of, of this program, but, but that game happened. And, We cannot forget about it. I will not forget about it for a while. It's going to be a tough one to forget about. That being said, uh, there is legitimate evidence that FSU is getting better. Uh, We saw some of that against Louisville. And if you're watching the film and you're kind of, you know, like at practice, like Chris and I are, you can kind of see some of that happening. But you need to see it manifest itself in wins ultimately, right? Against Syracuse, you saw a legitimate step forward in how the defense played for a majority of the game. Unfortunately, the breakdowns were catastrophic. Same with special teams breakdowns were catastrophic and, and offense too. But you saw like those three parts when they played well, like they beat a. It's actually going to be a, a decent Syracuse team. They took Wake Forest and and, uh, and Clemson to the wire. Uh, probably going to be a bowl team. So you actually go and you you outright win that game despite trying to give it away to the end. Then North Carolina, you go and you beat the crap out of North Carolina. You dominate in the trenches at times. Uh, you you come from behind by ten points and then you basically just control the rest of the game. It was really cool to see. Uh, those are So those are the optics that you're seeing in results. The metrics actually point to FSU improving as well from last year. The FPI had FSU in the 90s last year. I think it was 93. Uh, this year, they're at currently at 67. is right in the middle of the pack. It's obviously not where you want to be, guys, right? But that is growth. Uh, the, the F+, which takes uh, the Fermo, Fermia, Fermin, uh, basically his metrics. Easy for you to metrics. say. Oh, Jesus. And then Bill Conley, almost called him Steve Conley. Bill Conley's uh, his metric S and P plus. It combines those two, and FSU was like 88th last year in that, and they're 54th right now currently. So, if you want to subscribe to the theory that this program bottomed out and is now starting, maybe they reach rock bottom, Josh, because they're starting to show some upward trends in trajectory at least midway through the season here. So, yeah, I, I see some growth both optically and then the metrics are reflecting that as well.
3: It, okay. I've had, uh, you know, by week you get bored, you sit, and you think. They've got six games left. Going into the year, I thought in those six, they would be lucky to go two and four. I think they mm-hmm. can legitimately now go four and two in those last six. mean, I do mean, the, don't the think
1: back half were- of that schedule yeah. is easier than it was going into the season. But the front half of the schedule, Wake Forest was better than you thought. And then you kind of, I mean, you have the Jacksonville State game, which again, right. like, that happened.
3: I mean, yes. UMass, UMass, Clemson is a matter. You got to score enough. If you can score enough, I don't know that you, you want to try to turn that into a shootout. Clemson's defense is still pretty good, but Clemson's offense is currently dreadful. They're scared of a forward pass. NC State is capable, good. I think when they're better teams in the league, but they also sometimes just kind of falter on Saturdays. Miami's falling apart, and by the second Saturday in November, God knows what it's going to be like in Coral Gables. Boston College didn't look particularly good against NC State this weekend when I watched them, but they're still capable and talented. And Florida, I mean, you lost to an outgoing coach the week he was outgoing, so congrats on that.
1: Florida has some uh, potential quit to them, uh, depending on how the next couple weeks go.
3: Yeah, that's that's a weird case. I uh, you know, I mean FSU is dreadful. Let me preface preface. preface i know, start with that. Preface,
1: preface. Preface
3: is what I was trying to get to, but the tongue didn't work. Um, but uh, it's kind of amazing that Florida is gonna really waste this opportunity, this period of time, where FSU and Miami are quite dreadful, and they're just not gonna capitalize on it like an in-state team should when one or both of the other ones in the state are not good.
1: That's when I make fun of Miami for, and I love making fun of Miami. Um, I don't know why it is one of my favorite pastimes. It's just so easy to do when they're like, when they come back and point, Oh, well, FSU is this or FSU is that one. That doesn't hurt my feelings, guys. Like I'm not living or dying on, on how a, a team you the performs national
3: championships.
1: I do. I do. And even that I'm, I'm not emotionally going to, you know, they, they got drummed this weekend, whatever UCF got drummed. I mean, that's not going to affect how I live my life, uh, but they did win a national championship in 2017. Sake. Why it's funny to me is Miami has completely missed the window of FSU being down, which you absolutely need. It, it, if history shows every anything, it's that for a team to capitalize and being a national championship uh, type of type of realm in the state, you need at least one of the programs, if not both, to be down. And this Florida is State's like been the third.
0: Down window Miami has missed of FSU being down by the way since their last national championship this isn't like the first one they've missed plenty of windows but for the Gators they've typically capitalized when FSU has been down and And I think for them um this is this would be heartbreaking to just watch your window just slowly close um
3: plus their biggest conference rival is currently number one in the country
0: right and that and it might beat the dog out of them in Jacksonville this weekend, only adding to kind of, you know, the, the closing of their window. Um, this is the time when you dominate the state of Florida, you take the number one players at their positions, and you kind of, you know, you tilt the, the your roster in your favor when when your rivals are down, and they're not doing that at all. I think and, the
3: change in this narrative from past history to current history is that too many of the best players in the state have ended up at the Alabama's, they the Instead of ending up at one of the three in the state, that's really good. I think that's what's a big difference in this. But I just, you know, I like the frustration with Mullen by Gator fans, I sort of get it. They've had an opportunity here and they haven't been able to put themselves on that level in the SEC where they can compete for it in the league, therefore putting themselves in the discussion to compete for it nationally. They've come up short in that regard. And they've recruited good, but not great. And there's a
0: difference between great and good. And you see it on the football field. You see it in the trenches. When LSU is able to just run for almost 300 yards, there was a, you got to look back at UF's recruiting, especially in the trenches and how many times they settled for, you know, subpar, you know, not the number one player at their position. And they said, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We're still beating Miami. We're still beating Florida State. Well, it does matter because when UF was down, Florida State didn't settle for three-star prospects in the trenches. They went out and got Timmy Jernigan and Derek Nottie and Eddie, Eddie Goldman, Goldman. And Mario Edwards Jr. I mean, we're talking number one players at their position from across the country, and FSU could have settled on good players, but good players don't win them the national championship, and they took the great players while UF and Miami were down. Um Let's move on. Uh, we talked. We've talked. We talked about expectations. But do you think that there's any way that we, for, by the end of the season, we forget about the Jacksonville State loss? Is there any way?
1: No, well, I, was, I think.
3: Go ahead, Chris. Beat Miami, Florida, Clemson, maybe. But I feel like Jacksonville State's uh, going to be Norvell's Jimbo's Virginia. Like you can win a national title, and people still are going to reference that game. Like I don't think it just magically goes away. Um. But, yeah, you beat your two in-state rivals and beat the team that's run the conference in the time that you haven't here recently. Yeah, I think that wins you a hell of a lot of favor.
1: It, so we were talking about this. I was on a triple option last night uh, with, with Ingram Smith. And so we were we were there. We were talking about – and Coach A.B. just – I Coach A.B. He just waited on the tank top. I wore that last night too. I slept in it. Still the same tank top. Still stinky. Uh, that Jacksonville State game, there's two – there's two reasons why, I, unless you go ahead and you like you beat Clemson, beat unless you win like three of those, you know, final, you have to basically go on a major tear, I think, for people to kind of forget about it. Because there's two things here. One, uh, it's gonna be really difficult to get to a bowl game, right? So you have two wins right now. You're gonna need to find four in the back half. So you're gonna have to go four and two to get to a bowl game, uh, unless something with like you get five wins and there's APR uh, stuff that allows you in. People want going to look back at that Jacksonville State game and say, hey, the season, you know, six and six, everything fixed is, is what I've been saying. All offseason, that's what this fan base, I think, generally knew. If you could get six wins, that would be great. But that JSU game is going to keep you very likely from getting to a bowl game. Again, unless you just get it all turned around and go on a major tear here. Um, in that case, maybe we do forget about it. But if not, like that's going to be a game that you look back at. The second thing, guys, that I, I just can't get over that game you know, we look at what FSU did against Syracuse, what they did against North Carolina schematically, uh, especially on offense and how they kind of have fixed some of these issues and figured out what their identity is and what they can build on and, and be serviceable with. That Jacksonville State game was such a – there's so much of a disconnect from what we've seen from the staff in terms of messaging and playing to win, of being consistent. Um, and then it just – I mean, I, I view Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham as really bright offensive minds who – do something that's really difficult in college football, and that's finding margins strategically. And they do a really good job of that. And some of the personnel usage, the something my coach AB mentioned on the podcast last night, the the stubbornness of the, them trying to run his RPO offense and trying to make it work with McKenzie Milton. I just, I just have a hard time forgetting about that game. It just, it, it was, it was the first time I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if they're going to make it here because of what I saw in that game. that's kind of been alleviated some with the last couple of weeks uh, but it still exists and that's just it's something they're gonna have to probably build on for a couple of years to really make you forget about it, at least for me.
3: I'd just like to point out I'm being an negligent parent. my kids are outside running around. I had no clue they were even awake yet. I love days off from school so good.
1: Lisa <laughs> <laughs> dressed. Did Josh freeze? Like he's just staring. I think he's frozen. and Nailed it. All right, Chris. So let's let's get get out of here because we have a press conference to cover in a little bit. I don't know what's gonna be talked about at the press conference. Like it's been a bye week. We've already talked to everyone. He's
3: gonna be the mid season review type, and then uh, uh, I'm sure there'll be some uh, grand uh, college football storylines discussed. Uh,
1: well. Uh, I think there only needs to be one of us who goes to that one, and someone can cover it remotely and, and transcribe. Josh just texted: Did someone's internet go out? Yes, Josh. Yours. <laughs> Yours. <laughs> All right, he's trying <laughs> to get back on here. Let's let's get out of here before Josh can get back on, though. I think I, that's I'm Thanks downward. for listening. Right. This has been on the be- <laughs> on the bench. Yeah, five stars. Uh, give us some money too, because Josh needs. A person in that oh, yeah. Time. Bye, guys.
2: Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.